Welcome to A Cuppa for the Soul. I'm Sue. I'm Trish. And we're so delighted that you're joining us. In these podcasts, Sue and I share our meanderings from the inside place of how we live mindfulness and how the practice informs our days. And we want to unpack it a little bit to make it accessible and available for you to have lived in your daily life too. We will offer some practices that you can use as well as some beautiful poetry that really resonates with us. We invite you to make a cuppa as you join us and hope that you enjoy a cuppa for the soul. Welcome back. So to begin this episode, we have the poem Love After Love by Derek Walcott. So if it's safe for you, take a moment to just stop. Maybe even close your eyes if that's comfortable and receive these words, see where they land in you. Just breathe into this space as we begin this new gathering together. Love after love. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit, hear, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Wow. There's such richness in that offering, in that poem. What resonates for me is that it's almost like you've got the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. And throughout our lives, we give the devil, the, that inner critic, so much voice, so much space in our lives. And it tells us how we're not good enough or it tells us we shouldn't do this or you know, if we try this, we might fail. And it attaches so much judgment and harshness to our very being. 
And we never really give space or voice to that other part of ourselves, that inner champion, that lighter, more joyful cheerleader that says, yeah, you can do it. And you mightn't have done it before, but you'll learn and you can, you will learn to be able to do it. You might have the skills to do it right now, but you, you can learn them. And it's that little champion that says, you're good enough right now as you are. You don't need all these other things or all these other pieces that the critic says you're not good enough because you don't have them. So I love that poem and it's just beauty and saying you're already enough. You're there. You just need to see yourself as you are. And yet we don't really see ourselves as we are. We see ourselves through the lens that life has given us of all of our baggage and our trauma and our past experience that says, yeah, you know what? You're not that great of a human being. <laughs> You'll be better another time. And so I love that it's really about opening up to that compassion within yourself, that inner love. What comes up for you as you read that? Well, the, the, the part, I suppose, the line that always stands out for me is, and it chokes me every time. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. It's like gorgeous piece from the Alexander Technique where Alexander says we've come in, we're well made. Alexander who, you know, had this way of studying the body and tries to work out how people get locked or stuck in places and the energy doesn't flow. And Fundamentally, we're well made. And so you will love again the stranger who was yourself. It's like we have come in with all. And yes, like you say, with the traumas and the hurts, we, we may separate from it. And the, the piece of give back your heart to yourself. You know, I think... I think of how just on our world, heart disease is such an issue in the population globally. And so this poem speaks to me of how can, how can I meet my own heart? And I recognize how it's possible in an instant to flip it closed, Ooh. to withdraw, to isolate, to feel her, to nurse the sense of separateness, which of course, it's a foundational thing that happens wherever we're traumatized we freeze and pull away because it's like a safety mechanism to survive but it's like we forget to look up and see what well, has the danger passed and so i think derek walcott is inviting us to reconnect to that part of ourselves that has never left has loved you all your life and it's 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 this amazing journey of rejecting myself and coming back to myself and finding ease in my body and in my skin and in who I am. And I think, I don't even think I feel that 
I know when I am softer in my skin, I'm softer around other people. And when I'm more critical inside myself, I will be more judgmental of everything on the outside world because it will mirror it. And so Derek is inviting us to look in the mirror and peel your own image off the mirror. Peel your own image off. Isn't it um, Louise Hay who started mirror work in the 80s? She started working with people during the AIDS crisis when nobody knew what was causing that massive pandemic that, God bless, wiped so many people off the planet. And there was such fear. And she invited people to look in the mirror and look in their own eyes and begin to tell themselves that they loved themselves. It's a real thing to look in the mirror and to hold your own gaze but to do it without criticism and condemnation. And so I think this is what it touches for me. You know, give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself. Just feast on who you are. This is not this arrogant, egotistical, oh, look at me, I'm so great and dandy. This is the, wow, look at the miracle. I can see, I can taste. I can feel, I can smell, I can savor, I can, I, I, I've been, this, this, these days, maybe because the world is going so much slower during the pandemic, Sue, but these days I have, as you know, because I keep sending you images, just been delighted beyond word at these little dandelion heads. And so I keep looking at them in the distant light and look at the incredible structure as these seed heads go out to the very feathery tips. And yesterday when I was walking slowly up the lane with the dogs, I noticed one where the little feathery parts, some were really wide open and some were probably not mature enough yet. They were still a little bit more closed. And there was lots of dandelion fluff all in the ditches and around the place and flying in the air. And I picked it up like a little girl to blow on it and to see what would happen. And I watched some just fluff away effortlessly. And some that might have taken a couple of extra blows and when I looked at the dandelion head at the end of this, some of the little seeds were still on the dandelion, but the, fl the flying part had left. And I just thought, isn't this the lesson of life? It will release and let go to the wind when it is mature enough, when it has time for everything to fly and let go and go to its new starting point. But if we force, like me with my breath blowing, to force them to release quicker than they were going themselves, the seeds got left behind on the dandelion head. So it wasn't ready. And that was such a metaphor for me of, you know, compassion calls for us to allow ourselves to unfold in our own time. Not because anybody else says you should be at this place by now. Not because my inner critic is judging me against you and says, oh, you've done this, I haven't, oh, I'm not good enough. Just trusting, as Alexander said, we're well made. We've come in well made. And we will unfold in our own moment. So that's, that's what this all, all speaks to in me. Gorgeous. It's a, a really beautiful thing to get to the point of trusting, isn't it? To, to trust that actually we, we grow and evolve as and when we're ready to. That lovely saying of 
when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So we can't force a flower to open. It, it will open to the sun. It will open when it's ready. Uh, and similarly, you know, if you push your heart to forgive too soon or to, to not allow it to feel what it needs to feel, mm. it's almost like a, mm. you, you miss a point and it becomes a fake a fake forgiveness it's or a, I need to move beyond this thing before I'm you know so with not allowing ourselves to feel not not allowing the dandelion to have its moment to feel and to release when it was ready it missed a stage but similarly with our own hearts we can miss a stage because we think oh I I need to do this now or I need to be the bigger person or I need to be the and without allowing ourselves to really feel the, maybe the hurt or the pain and to understand where it's coming from within ourselves. And then we can extend that understanding to another person. Whereas how much resentment comes when we do things when we're not ready for it. When we feel like, like I look at my little girls and I go, you know, share and don't fight, but they can only share when they're ready to share. They are not going to share because I force them to share. They need to own that toy for a, a few moments to play with that doll before they're ready to share it with their sister. And, and similarly, sometimes don't we, we feel we need to give ourselves away, sometimes maybe too quickly before we've really had a chance to, ah, this is where I am. This is the hurt. This is the inner critic, or which is generally the, the little inner child that never get, didn't feel loved or held or good enough, respected, or whatever it was. And when we, I, yeah. I just, I just froze in a moment in time. Yeah. You know, I'm aware in my life and in, I'm sure, the lives of these gorgeous bunch around us listening to this, we've experienced events in our lives where, for whatever reason, we've had to just stop. And it's just got lodged somewhere inside us. We didn't decide to lodge it and to freeze in that place. And then, yeah, like you're saying, that wounded part comes up and speaks out and doesn't know how to get its needs met. Yeah, there's that, that little child who, as you say, for very real reasons, protects itself as a defense mechanism from hurt. So when we come into the world, we're so light and can experience things in a very different way. And then as we, we go into toddlerhood and we grow up, we annoy people because of our exuberance or our, you know, tearing up all the newspapers as I know I did as a child and much to the irritation of my mother. It was a very early memory that stood out quite strongly for me. And it, it's quite interesting then how you slowly, you close yourself down because you need to protect yourself against the, the criticism or the admonishment of other people. And it's a way of protecting this little fragile heart that is so in need of love and, and caring and nurturing. But when we give ourselves out like that and, and we meet people who, who don't love us back and they say, what are you talking about? You're not good enough. That wasn't good enough. It could have been better if you did it this way. That harshness means, oh, I need to protect myself, which is a completely normal response when we experience judgment. 
or any kind of criticism and or bullying even take it to another extent and then the, this this bright inner light gets dampened down by these clouds that we know are early beliefs are formed from our thoughts that fill our minds and then as we we slowly kind of come to a point of ah there's this other part there's this little child that is full of light and love and can we let can we meet her at the door meet her again and feed her feast on her because she's always there but we just listen to this darker piece that actually is there to protect us and tells us oh no stay down stay down keep your head down don't look up because if you look up you somebody's going to have criticism coming at you and hey like you don't want that criticism so if we all just stay down which is such an irish thing the tall poppy syndrome if you you don't want to pop your head up because god you might get it lobbed off <laughs> and it's sometimes easier just to stay like the little turtle inside the shell and poke out and go hey there's something nice i'd like to share and not ev- we're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's okay i really um i i have a sense you know as a mom when you describe your you know you as a little girl tearing up the paper and your mom's reaction to it and feeling unloved and the part of me that's a mom says actually that was just your mom's reactivity the love doesn't stop in that moment but the very vulnerable little person freezes with the shock of being admonished like that that's exactly what i'm speaking to and isn't this where the gift of the practice as we keep coming round to it is we can begin to relook at that maybe and realize you were just being a little girl. I can remember when Clodagh was a year and a bit and she got my year calendar, my diary out of my handbag and wrote lovely messages with scribbles through the whole, whole thing. Every page got a little autograph of Clodagh's shapes and forms with a biro and rendered the book fairly useless. And it was the cutest thing. I kept it because it was just like this moment of a little one scribbling. In a different moment, I could have been really reactive that, I need this, hold my breath. And so I turn around to this as as here we are in this moment on this day and think, okay, so I can feel compassion for you as a little girl, kind of shell-shocked by your mom's reaction. And as a mom who's felt frazzled around the edges and has spoken too sharply and too loudly on too many occasions with my own beautiful kids I feel compassion for your mom who probably was a bit frazzled and there was something she wanted I don't think for a millisecond her intention would have been to hurt you any more than my intention with my kids was to shock and hurt them it's part of what happens in the real world it's how we begin to maybe inculcate our resilience but where we're wounded how can we bring how can we bring ourselves with a full heart, not a mental re- exercise, like you were saying, mm. to and embrace ourselves in this place? Yeah. There's that very real early childhood experience of making, as a very young child, making a decision that this means, this, this reactivity, as you say, of your parent or somebody that you love, that their reactivity, you put a meaning on it and that forms a belief about how you see the world. And it's really hard to 
change that because it, it becomes a very strong fundamental building block in terms of how you see things. But by getting a chance to revisit it in lots of different ways, as you say, like you see that the child that needs a hug yourself, you come back to being able to, to meet that little version of yourself and give her the love that you feel she missed. And then you see your mother who, for my mom, two sets of twins and three singletons. Like I have one set of twins and at times I'm like, oh my God. Like, of course she was frazzled around the edges. And as you say, to, to speak harshly or quickly or is a completely normal thing. We all do it when we're stressed, trying to cook the dinner, you know, all these other demands. I can imagine people in their houses right now trying to work with children, wanting to do absolutely anything else, but maybe homework or writing on the walls, whatever it is. And wanting attention from these people who are busy doing their job to earn the money to pay the mortgage. Absolutely. And to meet that, again and again with love and compassion that little being that has needs and a desire for attention and yet sometimes we will of course say things in the heat of the moment but isn't it interesting how as a small child you take those things on and they become part of literal yeah part of this means this and we all have some kind of early experience that I think in the practice, particularly compassion, um, we can revisit it in a way that sees it in a, in a few things that recognize firstly that it's a moment of suffering. Ah, this is, this is a moment of suffering when your need has not been met. Maybe it's a need for attention or love or kindness or just even Space. curiosity. Or, yeah. And then that we recognize actually I'm not the first person to feel this. Uh, it won't be the last. Actually, this is part of the human condition, isn't it? To, to feel when external things happen to us. Oh, to feel sad or angry or frustrated or grief or loss, any amount of the big, big emotions. And then to be able to offer ourselves the kindness and the love that maybe we didn't feel at the, in that moment, but never went away. So I'm curious when, you know, we're using these words, compassion and kindness. What really does that mean? How, how can I have compassion for another? Or how can I have compassion for myself? How can I show love for myself? You know, does it mean I pour an extra glass of wine tonight? Is that it? Or is it, is it ex? Excluding myself from an unpleasant scenario. What does that actually unpack and look like, Sue? I think it probably looks different to different people at different times, isn't it? There's probably, it's not, oh, this is it now. This is the one fix that you'll, and if you apply this remedy, it'll work for you every time. It really, it's, it's about meeting yourself with kindness, with an opening your heart, particularly self-compassion, opening your heart to yourself as you are. So this is what Derek is saying in Love After Love. Mm. But say I come and I'm visiting you. Yeah. And I arrive into your, your place, sit down on the couch, and you can see I'm a bit tangled up. Mm. And I'm, I'm giving myself a hard time because I know maybe I wasn't my, you know, 
I've said something I regret or I've behaved in a way I'm not proud of. And really, it's easier for me to tell you what a schmuck I've been than to say, look, I need a bit of help here. or I don't know how to translate this kindness thing into, mm. into my life. What would you say to me? How could you guide me to meet myself coming in my own front door? How could you guide me to peel my own expression, my face from the mirror and connect again with my own heart? What are the ways in? Well, isn't that it? Like it's as a friend, I would be so much more kind to you than you would be to yourself. So it's meeting that part of you and saying, you're okay. You made a mistake. You, you, yeah, you did something or you maybe feel embarrassed or regret about it, but actually it's okay. It's okay to face the pain and it's not going to last forever. It will pass. Isn't that so important to hear? Isn't it? And actually you're so much more than this little one thing that you did. This one behavior does not define you, Trish, in your entirety. It is just something you did. And actually, when we think about most of what we do, most people forget it pretty quickly. Actually, we forget it too. We tend to, the negativity bias means we hold on to the things that we're embarrassed about or ashamed of or guilty or feel bad about. We hold on to that. But actually, we're so much more than those small little experiences. So what I would say to you, Trish, is saying, this is just a human thing. So I would make it smaller for you because as you come in to meet me, you'd say, oh my God, this is huge. This is massive. And so as your friend, I'd be like, this is a small thing. Let's make it not feel as big. And it's part of being human. We all make mistakes. And I'd probably share with you a time where I made a similar mistake if it made sense. And then that would mean I wouldn't feel like I'm the only one who's ever been this way. You wouldn't feel the only one. You're like, oh, I too am silly at times, embarrassed at times, vulnerable at times. And then say, how can we be kind to you? And I give you a hug. Um, Mm. Well, if I could physically give you a hug, I would. Otherwise it'd be like one of these socially distant hugs that we're doing over the internet. Um, And isn't it funny how even putting your own hand against your own, own heart and hugging your own heart can actually bring some of that softness to ourselves absolutely there's so much power in touch it's putting I put my hand on your shoulder I put my hands around you and this is what a friend does so a lot of actually self-compassion is learning to be your own best friend how can you befriend yourself as if your best friend or mother you know I've spoken about how maybe in that one experience, my mom was a little bit harsh. She is the most loving, kind, oh, what she wouldn't do for you. So it's that idea of how could you meet yourself in the way that the person that loves you most in the world would when you feel the worst in the world. So it's offering a way to be kind. And there's some lovely practices that, you can do around that. Um, one that is coming to mind is a compassionate companion practice, where sometimes when we feel that we can't give ourselves the compassion we need, we imagine somebody that we love. And so I might, I might do that as a finishing point for this podcast today. 
So if it is safe for you to do so, um, if you're driving, pull over. And I would invite you to close your eyes and rest your attention in the present moment. The feet on the floor or the body in the chair, however you are receiving these words. And sense into the breath as it comes into the body, nourishing the body. And as it leaves, simply connect with the breath. And if it's helpful for you, inviting a few deeper breaths. Intentionally soothing the system. Feeling enveloped by the breath. And now I'd love for you to place your hand on your heart and just feel what it feels like as you place your hands here. Maybe you notice the beating of the heart. And in your mind's eye, imagine somebody that loves you very much. Maybe they're alive, maybe they're not but see their face in front of yours. And if you can't connect with a person, maybe a pet, or an imaginary being, or a celestial being, just imagine this person or being in front of you. And feel their heart filled with love for you, their being permeating love for you. And as it touches your heart, feel what it feels like to receive this love, this kindness. And maybe some words form from this person's heart to yours. Like, may you be at peace. May you be at ease. May you be as healthy as is possible. May you feel love. or another spontaneous witch may emerge. Receive the words on the rhythm of the breath, if that is helpful for you. Notice what it does to the body and the breath. as you receive these words. 
in this compassionate companion. Stay with your compassionate companion as best you can. Notice into the body what it feels like to receive this kindness. This wisdom this love. And then when you're ready, inviting you to bring your attention back to the room or wherever you are. And take this, your compassionate companion's words with you into your day, into your week, into your life. We so hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to get in touch with me, Sue Redmond, you can catch me on sueredmond.com or email me at info at sueredmond.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at sueredmondphd. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me on mindfulnesstrish at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.